Aleph Shvat, Rosh Chodesh Shvat, Tafshin Ayin Tet. Coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Gov of Pugi fame opens things up on this Rosh Chodesh Shvat with uh, a song that uses the words Yalev Yavo. In fact, that's the name of the song's, song's name. That is the song's name, and that is uh, a tefillah that we aired amongst other times on Rosh Chodesh. Welcome in, welcome in one and all to this week's edition of the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. We are here each and every Monday immediately following Jamie in the AM. 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Israel Time, around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is now, that's when we are on. Please note it so you'll remember for the future. And right at the top, I want to fulfill an obligation that I made to Nachum Siegel just a few minutes ago when he uh, graciously hosted me uh, on JM in the AM. He asked me to send a shout-out to two listeners, devoted listeners. We thank them, and we're happy to shout-out to Helen... And to Morris, 
who uh, Nachum says when he meets them, they always make a point of telling him how great, how much they love the show. And we appreciate that. And uh, all the feedback we can get, we're happy for, because it helps us move forward and it helps us also um, steer the ship in the right direction if we get feedback from you about certain things that you like better or certain things that you're, you could do without. So we're happy to hear feedback from Morris, from Helen, from everybody. You can do it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Israel show, or you can send me an email, mayor, M-E-I-R, mayor, M-E-I-R, at nachamsegel.com. That simple. It is that simple. We have interesting show coming up. Um, Moshe Ahrens passed away earlier today at the age of 93 was a fascinating human being a really amazing Jew Um, actually grew up most of his uh, uh, teenage years he grew up in New York and made Aliyah in 48 fought in the Israel Defense Forces and before that, he was involved in the American Defense Forces. Went on to become either the CEO or the deputy CEO of Israeli Aeronautics, Tasiavirit, leading maker of um, high-tech weapons and so forth. Was Minister of Defense, Minister of... Uh, Foreign Affairs, he was America's ambassador to uh, the United States for a while, he was a, uh, just an amazing person, and until uh, very recently, totally with it, totally lucid, he gave an interview uh, upon the, the passing of uh, President George Herbert Walker Bush not that long ago, we have a little clip for you of that interview, and uh, we'll tell you as much as we can in the limited time about this very special person. And then we're going to have a uh, a difficult discussion in which I will share with you my thoughts, which are not set, are not black and white. I don't have black and white opinion about this, as much as I did in the past, about the, um, the Shin Bet and how they and the Israeli police are dealing with Jews, young Jews, very often minors, who are engaged in acts of violence and terrorism against Arabs. How much, how far do you go? How much of a threat should they be considered? Are they to be treated exactly like the Arab terrorists are, are treated? And this comes on the heel of three events. One, last week, the court threw out, the Israeli courts literally threw out all the evidence against a minor who they said the Shin Bet got a, a, him to admit to something, whether he did it or not. The court doesn't say whether he did it or not, but they said they got it through a, a, an interrogation that went way over the line. Um and currently, there is two two things that are going on currently. One is the trial of uh, Amiram ben Oliel and another minor whose name we uh, is prohibited to uh, to publicize in the murder of three Arabs in the town of Duma back in July of 2015. That trial is currently ongoing. 
and uh, the question of the Shinbet interrogation of uh, of these two and the the when they finally gave a statement admitting that they did it and then they recanted and um the murder um in October the killing the murder I don't know yet what it is October the 12th of 2018 not that long ago of an Arab woman who was riding in a car innocent person presumably a totally innocent person riding in a car with her husband and um rocks were thrown at the car smashed the windshield and killed the woman and uh the Shinbet believes that um those who threw the rocks come from the uh, school that is in located in the town of Rechelim in the Shomron. And again, the entire issue comes up. And all these are juxtaposed somehow, and all seem to be coming up at the same time. We'll try and clarify each situation and explain to you what's going on. And I don't know if we'll get through all of it now. We'll try, and if not, we'll continue next week. It took me quite a while, i got to say, researching it and reading both in Hebrew and in English, um, a lot of material to understand just the basics of, of the events, because there's so many different events that happen to be causing ripples right now at this particular point, but these are three different events. And um, as a result of that confusion, there's a lot of um, lack of clarity in in the media and a lack of clarity in people's mind. We'll try and straighten things out. Uh, we'll begin after... Um, Yair Levy with Minagen. He's joined up for this one with by Arkadi Duchen. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
50 אחוז מהזמן אני רק חולם על זה, נזכר, אחר כך שוכח, הולך לישון, ככה, רעב, בלי חלום, בבוקר, רץ, 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 רץ. על שטויות, על דברים בלי ערך, חליפות, פרסים מתוחכמים, אסטרטגיה, אג'נדה. אבל היא שם, עומדת בפינה, מחכה לי. אפשר לעשות כל כך הרבה ביחד, לא רק ידעתי, לנגב זה היה, להוריד את החלודה. יאיר לוי וקאדי דוכן מצטרפים לסונג הזה. האלבום נקרא מנגן, האלבום נקרא שוב לנשום, אנחנו נקרא פה הרבה זמן לפני, זה היה אלבום גדול, יאיר לוי, מי נאמר מאיר ויינגרט, אתם נקרא לזה זול שון, ואנחנו מסיגל נטוורק. משה ארנס If you're in your fifties, um, definitely uh, middle to late fifties and older, you probably remember the name. He was a very central person in, uh, in, in the Israeli world, in the world of Israel and Israeli government. He was... Um, The Minister of Defense from 1983 to 84. He was a minister without portfolio from 84 to 88. A Minister of Foreign Affairs from 88 to 1990. He is credited with discovering the talent of a young foreign ministry person by the name of Benjamin Netanyahu. realized his potential, took him in to work at the embassy, and the rest, as they say, is history. I'll tell you a little bit about him, just some of the facts. He was born in Lita in Lithuania. His father was an industrialist, his mother was a dentist. In uh, 1939... They moved to the United States. I guess they uh, they saw the writing on the wall, maybe. And so uh, if he was born in 25, that makes him uh, 14 years old. So until the age of 14, he grew up in uh, Eastern Europe in Lita. And then from the age of 14 until he makes Aliyah, which is in 1948, so that's um, 
another nine years or so, he grows up in the United States. He's very attracted to the what they would what was called the revisionist movement, the movement led by Zev Jabotinsky. Beitar is one of the subsections of that movement, one of the, one of the active youth movements within the Jabotinsky world. He was a leader of the Beitar youth movement in the States. And, interestingly, during World War II, he served in the United States Army Corps of Engineers as a technical sergeant. That's very interesting. I, I, I don't think I knew that until now. Hmm. So he serves in the American Army, and then... When Israel declares independence in 1948, he makes Aliyah, joins the Irgun already. At that point, it's pretty much the, the end, the end, the end of it. Um, although they still have some activities, he's sent to Europe to help local Jewish communities. He returns to Israel, and he joins with Menachem Begin and others in founding the Chayrut party, which ultimately joins with other parties and becomes the Likud. So he's there, really, early on in the uh, on the right wing of Israeli politics. He went to MIT, has a degree in aeronautical engineering, and um, he was also a professor of, aeronautical, uh, of aeronautics at the Technion, I, I didn't mention that he was defense minister. I mentioned it in my opening remarks, but I didn't mention, and I mentioned 83 and 84, but he was again defense minister in 92, 90 to 92 and 99. So he's uh, a lot. Now, he was always on the right side of Israeli politics. He was a staunch hawk. He voted against the Camp David agreements that his party's leader, Menachem Begin, was supporting. I mean, led the, led the way. And when Menachem Begin offered him the post of Minister of Defense in 1980, he, he didn't take it, which is an amazing thing. He turned it down because he disagreed with the Egypt-Israel Peace Treaty. What was he against? He was against leaving all of Sinai. He just felt that was wrong. He became ambassador to the United States. As we mentioned, he brought a young protege, Benjamin Netanyahu, who was at that time 32 years old. He brought him to work with him in Washington. He held many key positions, as you see. Uh, another, another one of the issues that he was most associated with was uh, the Lavi aircraft. Israel, at some point, decided that it would try to... Um, tried to engineer and to produce its own fighter plane. The Lavi, it was called. And he, as an aeronautics person, as an aeronautics engineer, somebody who worked in Tassiavirit, felt very strongly about it. He was the champion of that project. And at the end, it was decided, the government decided, 
that it just wouldn't work. It would be too expensive. Israel couldn't carry it. And he resigned as a result because he felt it was a big mistake. He felt that Israel needed to be independent on on things like having an aircraft that Israel builds and not to be dependent on the United States, mainly others, for um, for aircraft and, and for weapons. And so that's, a, again, a very Jabotinsky-esque kind of thought. Um, during the first Gulf War, and we have a clip of this somewhere, if I could find it. During the first Gulf War, he uh, Prime Minister was Shamir, and he was, I believe, Defense Minister. And the United States and Israel was being shelled by rockets from Iraq, Scud missiles. And the United States said to Israel, "Don't react, and trust me that someone like Moshe Shamir." and truly Moshe Ahrens, were not inclined not to act. But Yitzhak Shamir, the Prime Minister, who had the ultimate decision to make, said, okay, we have to give in to America and we won't react. And it was understood by America that that was a big move for Israel to sit on the sidelines because the deterrence factor that Israel always strikes back when hit could be lost. And that message would would resonate to the other Arab countries. Moshe Arendt was for fighting back. He went himself to meet with George H.W. Bush, the president at the time, to try and convince him, but that was, did not happen. And so he was very involved in all these critical moments of the state and the 1980s and 90s he wrote several books one of them I think I've spoken about in the past it's called Flags Over the Warsaw Ghetto it's a fascinating book you can get it on Amazon I will post a link to it on our Facebook page later Flags Over the Warsaw Ghetto and it tells the story which is not usually heard about the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, but from a different angle. Because we always were told, because our history was falsified by the Israeli left, that it was a, a uh, the, the ghetto uh, was led, the ghetto revolt was led only by left-wing uh, parties and people, Mordechai and Alevich and so forth, and they conveniently left out the the revisionist group that also fought together with the left. But the revisionists, the Etzel, the Lechi, Menachem Begin, they were, they were persona non grata in Israel in the early years. Ben-Gurion wouldn't even mention Menachem Begin's name. And so it's not surprising that they wanted to do everything to erase the memory of there being a uh, a right-wing revisionist faction in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. He researched it and wrote a book about it. It's trans- uh, in Hebrew, translated it into English. It's available for you to read if you're interested in Jewish history at all. This will be a fascinating read for you. Um, okay, so 
there's more to say about him. We also had a clip. We'll, we'll just because of time, we're going to leave it for another week. I think uh, it's important to remember who he was, the fact that he grew up in America, had an American accent, and, and to his dying day, there was a tinge of that American accent in his Hebrew. Um, was in the American Armed Forces, volunteered to go to the Israeli Armed Forces in '48. was a brave and good and devoted Jewish leader of the State of Israel, and uh, he shall be missed. Moshe Ahrens, who's passed away today at the age of 93. Um, Nachon is a song made popular in Israel by Amir Dadon. In a live performance of Yishai Rebo, Amir Dadon joined him and they did a duet on that song, Livchor Nachon, so we shall play it for you. It was just released yesterday, this recording of it. We shall play it for you right now. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. בסוף הכל מתנקז אליי עניין של זוויות אני לא מבין רמזים אולי צבעים ואותיות מבט חטוף אל עצמי ודי רק לא להסתכל משה בפנים כבר בפנים מדי קוראים לזה ארגן מתי אלמד לבחור נכון
Very popular song in Israel. Before we go on, I should mention that uh, a little while ago, the Israel Defense Forces announced the uh, death of a 20-year-old soldier, Evyatar Yosfi, from Givach Muel, who, uh, during a uh, navigation exercise, navigation drill, got swept up in the strong currents in the Golan area and uh, his body was found not too long ago. He was a student at uh, in the Yeshivat Bnei Akiva near Bnei Brak Shmuel is near Bnei Brak. It's called the Herzog Yeshiva and um, what can we say? We all mourn his uh, his death unfortunate that these things happen, but they do. And we just pray for Ilui uh, Nishmato and for his family. Shivat Bnei Akiva Kiryat Herzog is the name of the yeshiva that he was in. Now, to our conversation about the Shinbet and Narei uh, Hagvaot, the hilltop youth, the mountaintop youth. Let's just try first to define what the mountaintop youth are. Not that many of them, a few hundred teenagers mainly, who didn't fit in to the uh, mainstream religious Zionist homes in Yehudan Shamron. It's very difficult. It's a um, small, these are small communities and sometimes a kid just doesn't fit in and the community doesn't know how to uh, address him and adjust to his specific needs and they run away and they end up living on hilltops. That's why they're called Nareg Vaot. Physically, they can be usually identified by huge payot and very large kipot, shrugot usually, but very large, like literally covering a good part of the head. Many of them are attracted to Breslov and so forth. And they're kids, they're teenagers. Some of them are over 18. Many of them are minors. And they develop a very radical ideology. In many cases, the ideology says that the state of Israel needs to be replaced by a, some messianic state, some halachic state, and so forth. These are dreams. These are dreams of young kids. But when these young kids 
feel that there's no boundaries, that they can do anything in pursuit of their wild dreams, that's when it becomes dangerous. So you have a situation where these are kids that are not in a home without parents. These are kids that really don't have any spiritual guidance either. They don't listen to any of the rabbanim. They feel that all the rabbis in all the yeshuvim, many of them are very similar, or if not their parents, who are, some of them are rabbis of yeshuvim or, or rebbe's in the yeshivot in Yehudan Shomron. So they don't believe that they have uh, any answers. They believe that they're old-fashioned, that, that, that they don't get the need for the radical movement. So they have no God. They have no leadership. And it is believed that they carried out for quite a long time, for a number of years, small acts of vandalism against Arabs. Which was called Tag Mechir, a price tag. The idea being, if an Arab attacks a Jew, there has to be a price tag. They have to feel that there's a price associated with it. So if you kill a Jew, we're going to do something to you. So we're going to smash your property, or we're going to try and attack you personally, you know, physically, and so forth. Again, how many are there that are associated with Tag Mechir? We, we don't know. And mostly Tag Mechir was, for a very long time, spraying graffiti on walls and stuff like that. But at some point, it started ratcheting up. There were firebombs thrown into two main churches because they believe that the sh- churches, which they consider Avodah most other poskim would consider it Avodah but many wouldn't, um, should not be in Israel. So they firebombed big church on top of what we call today Mount Zion, near what we call today Kever David. I say these words, what we call today, because they're not really the correct names for these places, but that's what we've called them now over generations. Uh, near what's known as the Diaspora Yeshiva. Those areas, near Hartzion, near Shartzion. So that that's called the Dormition Abbey. Dormition, it's called in Hebrew, that's what they call it. And that was firebombed in another church in the Galil, was also firebombed and, and set on fire. The one on uh, Mount Zion was not set on fire. It didn't didn't take, but it was firebombed. So that already crosses the line, and yet didn't seem like they were able to find them. And then, and this is where this part of the story begins, July 31st, 2015, a home in the uh, Arab town of Duma, D-U-M-A, Duma. In the Shomron, which is close to uh, Jewish Yeshuvim, Jewish towns, a house was firebombed. Like a Molotov cocktail type of device was thrown into the bedroom window from the outside. The house caught fire and three people were killed, an 18-month-old baby, the mother and the father. I think, I hope we all agree that this is an unconscionable act and is usser. It is not permitted to do in Jewish law, surely not in Israeli law. And the concern of the government is that if this is in fact uh, an act that was done uh, 
by young teens and and minors and some some of them who are maybe a little older maybe 20 but young kids who have just turned to be very radical that this this presents a danger to the state of Israel i think that's important for us to remember and i agree if vigilantism of this form is allowed to go unanswered and the state of Israel really deteriorates into into total chaos. Today it's this group, tomorrow some other group. So the state decided to, to task the Shin Bet with finding these kids. Or this group. One, two, how many there were. I must tell you it is very difficult. Very, very, very difficult to crack these uh, kids, the Naregva or the Hilltop kids, they are extremely devoted to their beliefs. Extremely. They're ready to suffer a lot. And there are enough people in the Yehudan Shamron community who have been through the Shin Bet, who have written about it, who have. Many of them inside information. Many of them might have been in the Shin Bet. That they've developed a booklet and instructions on how to defeat the Shin Bet. How not to break an interrogation. What to expect. What not to do. How not to fall for any of their tricks. And so forth and so on. And so it's become very, very difficult to get any of these um, suspects to talk. Four months after July 2015, there was an arrest made of two Jews, a minor, and the other one's name is Amiram ben Oliel. But they don't talk. And the Shinbet is frustrated. The Shinbet gets permission, and you need permission of a court they tell the court this is a ticking time bomb. That's questionable analysis, whether they are or are not ticking time bombs, meaning the Shin Bet would say, hey, there are other members of this group who can go and, and, and do another act of violence, kill more Arabs. This could escalate. So the Shin Bet gives them the okay to conduct... A tick, the the um, interrogation as if it was a ticking time bomb which allows them to use tremendous physical and psychological pressure slash one might say torture in order to get them to admit and in fact soon after that Amiran ben Uliel admits to throwing the firebomb into the house and the um, and the minor who was arrested with him admits to being uh, to aiding and abetting in in that act when they come out during this entire time four months they were not allowed to see an attorney they were not allowed to see their parents they were in total isolation They're, they were sitting for hours on end in a chair that was attached to the floor couldn't move and their arms were tied behind their back they were sleep deprived 
tons of things. I, I don't know how they even made it for for four months. And so these two were supposed to stand trial for the murders in Duma. Now, what a lot of people weren't aware of was that there was a pre-trial as well. And in the pre-trial, the defense attorney for the minor and for Amiram ben Aliel said the evidence should be thrown out because it was gotten illicitly through torture, which was should not have been allowed. In fact, they both retracted their statements that they that uh, that they admitted to doing this. The court, in the case of the minor, threw out all the evidence, and um, his sentence was basically time served. For Amiram ben Oliel the court said they're throwing out the evidence that was gotten via these illicit acts of the Shin Bet but all the other evidence all the other things that he said when he was not under that extreme condition are in and being that he admitted to it and they took him right away to re- to the scene of the crime and to recreate the uh, this the scene of the crime based on that that evidence stays in and that court case is presently taking place in Israel. You don't hear a lot about it. You surely don't hear the defense attorney's side of it. But that court case is taking place right now in Israel. The second thing that happens. The minor who was arrested with Amiram ben Uliel for the murder in Duma, as he is being interrogated by the Shin Bet, and one of the things they want from him is names of others in his group that might have been violent and and uh, carrying on violent terror acts against Arabs. He names another minor. Well, we know we'll call him Tzadik because the minors are not allowed to be named Tzadik. Or we'll say Tzadi because it's the first letter of his name, Tzadi, was born in Kiryat Arba. At that time, 2015, he was 17. In his early teens, he left his home, he went and lived on the mountaintops. Well, once he's named by the minor in the Duma case, the Shinbet goes and arrests him, tries to break him, doesn't, doesn't work. For six days, they interrogate him. He says nothing. Then they say to him, you know what? We're going to just put you in prison. Now, don't forget, he's not allowed to see an attorney. He's not allowed to see his parents. He's all of 17 years old, doesn't necessarily understand what's going on, and he doesn't have the ability to stand up for his rights. And even if he would stand up for his rights, he's, uh, he's in custody of the Shin Bet. Who knows where he is? He doesn't know where he is. Nobody else knows where he is. His parents could be yelling and screaming from the from the rooftops, but nobody's going to mess with the Shin Bet. Well, the Shin Bet throws him into a van and says, we're taking you to prison and you're going to spend the rest of your life in this prison because of what you did. They suspect that he was the one that threw the firebomb at the church atop Mount Zion. 
This prison that they take him to is actually not a prison. It's an old police station. They took one floor of that police station and made it look like a prison. Everything about it looked like a prison. And if you were kept on that floor, you thought you were in prison. It's amazing. All the people in there with him were all actors, members of the police force. Each one was given a role. All of this in order to exert, over a period of time, pressure on this minor, Tzadi, to give some information that could help the Shin Bet indict him and maybe get others who were involved with him. Last week this was shown on uh, Israeli television in a, an investigative sh- reporting show by the name of Uvda. I don't know how they put their hands on it, but they put their hands on audio tape from within this make-believe prison, this theater, this horror theater. And you hear what was being perpetrated against this 17-year-old kid by the people around him. They all had roles. One of them said he was a murderer. One of them said he was a a drug uh, um, smuggler. One of them was a, a psychotic killer. And each one played their role. And you hear, and one of them turn, turns to be his friend. The good cop, bad cop scenarios, in, in a way. Ultimately, what they did was, after a few days, and each one you know, establishes his role, after a few days in this prison, make-believe prison, his, his uh, cellmate puts a bag of drugs under his mattress the police the next day come and raid his cell search it and of course find the bag don't forget it's all a a show it's all an act well some other prisoners talk to each other and he hears them obviously because they're doing it for him and say you see, they caught his drugs under his mattress, but they're not doing anything to him because he ratted us out. And the worst thing you can do in prison is be a rat. Or, as they say in Israel, a stinker. So now he's frightened that all the people around him suspect that he ratted them out. He didn't. And these other people, especially the one who plays a psychotic put tremendous pressure on him and they say to him listen the only way we're going to be able to trust you is if you tell us something about what you did that you'd be scared to rat us out again meaning tell us that you did this and this crime we won't say anything unless you rat us out again and if you rat us out again then we'll tell on you and therefore that would be a motive for you not to rat us out because you know we have this very bad piece of information about you. Seven days this is going on.
And it's excruciating. You hear the guy who's playing the psychotic screaming and yelling. They lock him at one point in, the, in a small bathroom. Don't let him out for hours. It's, it's, the, the kid is literally frightened for his life. And under the circumstances, he says that at some point he says, look, I, 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 um, I attacked some Arabs. And at some point he says he vandalized some Arab um, property. And then finally, when they keep pressuring him and he really feels like his life is on the line, he says that he was involved in uh, placing the bomb in that church. And that was it. Then the show was over. They take him to court. They say, here, he's admitted to doing this and so forth. Those allegations were also thrown out of court. Totally. And the question, of course, that we need to ask is, how far? How far can the Shin... This, by the way, this interrogation and all took place in November, mid-November 2015. The first day of it was a Sarabatevit when he was fasting, and he talks about this in the audio that we hear, that he's fasting and he wants to eat it when the fast is over and they take, uh, take away his, uh, his food. It's frightening. It really is frightening. And the question is, should Israel Shinbet be allowed to use what they call in America enhanced interrogation in order to find a real ticking time bomb, an Arab that knows of a of a terror attack that's going to take place? The the courts say if in fact you know that there is a ticking time bomb, literally a ticking time bomb out there and you need to get the information about it out of this guy. Use any, any, almost any means necessary. Go for it. But the question is, are they a ticking time bomb? These na'areyagva'ot, are they a ticking time bomb? I don't know the answer to that. Now you, you might ask, well, why would you consider them a ticking time bomb? And the answer is, if they are allowed to go on and do more acts of violence, this will escalate and escalate and ultimately all of you who don't run could go up in flames with vigilantes on both sides. And Israel has to keep order. On the other hand, can we tolerate that this is the way that Israel security forces are going to treat young Jews who have straight away from the path, obviously. But still are deep down good kids. Possibly. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know the answer. I, I did, back in 2015, speak very strongly about the need to stop these these hilltop kids who act violently in a way of a vigilanteism, that they are a cancer 
in the religious Zionist community? I still think so. But now, based on the information that has come out, my belief in the Shin Bet has been weakened. I must say, sadly, and this is a dilemma I don't have the answer to right now. I think time will tell, and more information will come out. In October of 2018, a woman, as we mentioned, was killed by a a rock thrown on her car, an Arab woman, the Shin Bet now, this week, has arrested five young men, minors, high school kids from the high school in Rechelim. They're also hilltop youth that have settled down a little bit on our Indus high school. Everyone who knows them claims they couldn't have possibly done it, but you never know what they could do. I don't know. And the Shin Bet has filled the airwaves in Israel with a lot of information, some of it is probably disinformation. But you won't hear the other side of the disinformation. These are real problems that a Jewish state is faced with. We didn't have to deal with these problems for the last 2,000 years. But 2,000 years ago, when we had a Jewish state, we had similar problems. In Zman Bayi when the problems got out of hand, when there was no leadership, when there was no strong security forces, when the leadership was split between Rome and the Prushim and the Tzdukim, the chaos ended up bringing the Khurban Bayi so yes, we have to be strong in supporting the security of the State of Israel and we have to make sure to fight against any threat, internal or external, yes, internal as well. So that we don't end up devolving into Bayi time with all that went with it. But at the same time, not everything is okay. Not every tactic, not every method to get the information is okay, especially when it leads to people admitting to things that maybe they didn't do. Very, very difficult decisions that, thank God, I don't have to make, but I think it's important for us to know that they're out there and they exist. And as Jews around the world, we care about it and we follow it. Well... We have to close out. (laughs) It's very late. Thank you so much for listening. We'll continue. We'll continue to look into this situation. We'll update you as we can. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff and the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, immediately following us, Yoni Pollock with After Further Review, covering the latest in the world of sports. And then Novik now with Jake Novik. And following him, the Great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten wishing everybody a Chodesh Tov and reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.